0: God, we just welcome you today. Um, open our hearts uh, to hear your word, uh, to act on it, uh, to encourage one another, uh, to see you not as a, as a Sunday exercise, but it's a, it's a week thing, it's a daily thing, it's a moment-by-moment moment walking with you journey, God. Uh, our time is yours, God, and uh, we praise you, we welcome you, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Boy, it's good to be a church. I tell you, it's so good to be a part of a church and, and to have a, a worship leader like Sam that makes room for God to do what God normally does. And, and, and the Holy Spirit is known as the great disruptor at times, isn't he? God tends to disrupt my plans for my life. God tends to disrupt my ideas of what success looks like. God disrupts uh, my ideas of what comfort looks like. And it's great to be a part of a church where we allow God to, to disrupt us for his good, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, glad you're with us today. Um, I'm really, really excited you're, you're with us. Um, summer's kind of already begun for a lot of us. Uh, a lot of our, our college students are already halfway around the world serving in places like France and, and, and the UK and, 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 uh, and Canada. Uh, doing all sorts of amazing things on mission. Uh, We've got families that are already starting to travel, trying to beat that peak travel season spike in airline tickets that we always see. Uh, But you're here today, and and that's what matters, right? We even have a family that gave birth to their their child on Thursday, Mark and Shonda. Was it Thursday? There's so many. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, okay. This week, right? But they're here today. God bless you guys. We're excited. We're, we're lifting you and, that, and your entire family up. We're, we're so thankful that, you've, um, that God's blessed you and we're, we're celebrating with you. Um, we're excited that you're with us, with, here with us today, too. I think God's got something amazing planned for you today. And I just want to take a moment for us to make sure that we don't miss what he has to say. So would you pray with me as we kind of center our spirits around the word of God and what he wants to do next, right? God, thank you for such a powerful morning of worship. Thank you that you've created us to be worshipers and that um, music is such a powerful expression of that worship. God, as we continue on in worship and worship you through the reading of your word, through the application of your word, may um, the changes in our life as a result of encountering you through your word, be a louder sound of praise than what we just sang out. I sure hope, God, that, that, that the chorus of my life is louder than I could sing of your love forever, me singing that. So God, give us the, the courage today to see things in our life we know we need to change and, 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 and deal with them and be transformed by them. So we thank you. We thank you for what you're going to do. I thank you for what you're going to do in my life. I thank you for what you're going to do in our church's life. I thank you for what you're going to do to whoever's listening to this sermon's life. I pray you bless these few moments we have together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're in a series called The Church, right? Probably not my most creative title for a uh, teaching series at church, but anyways um, we're talking we've been talking about through this just kind of mini season we've been in about the purposes of the church the the what the church is what the church is not and we've discovered and talked through quite a few of those things and and through it, you kind of have been seeing a essentially this series was birthed from a season of of my own spiritual development, my own spiritual journey, just kind of coming back to to the pure essence of what the church is all about and, and that 's where we are as a corporate body because of what God led me through uh, through a season just this past year and so um, this series is kind of an overflow of what God has done in my life, and I just can it 's been great to be able to preach from an overflow and share what God has been doing, right? And it came from me getting back into God's Word, studying the Word, saying, asking these questions of what is the purpose of the church? What is the church for? Who is the church for, right? We've asked those questions before. What is the purpose of the church? And, and so throughout this past season, through these past few weeks, we've, we've, tackled some of these issues and we've we've come across and and basically we tried to bring our church back to center on what is the purpose of the global church and that's to make disciples right and so we see that from Jesus's words himself and 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 what what's interesting is what's amazing is when we start to study the words of Jesus when we we look at the the public ministry the public works of Jesus recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, we see something. We see from each of the four books a different perspective. And when you can kind of put these collective perspectives together, it gives you a greater picture of what what I think God wants to accomplish through His Word. And, And it's interesting. When you start to study with all four of these Gospels collectively put together, you start to see that Jesus began His ministry with a command... And he ended his ministry with a command as well. But they were two completely different commands. And I want to to show us a couple of these. I want to show us these today. If you have your Bible, your Bible app, you can open it up to the book of John, chapter 1. Right at the very end of the book of, of John, chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 35 through 41 to begin with today. Right? And this is the kind of the first command that we see Jesus give to his soon-to-be disciples. This is when Jesus starts to assemble his team of avengers, right? Trying to be, this is the re- relevant portion of church, right? Where he starts his infinity, okay, that's lame, I'm just not going to go there anyway, okay? Anyways, this is when Jesus starts to call and collect and assemble his disciples, And we see this in John chapter 35, excuse me, John chapter 1, verse 35, where John says this. The following day, John, John the Baptist, was again standing with two of his disciples. Verse 36, as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? This is his first command. Verse 39, Jesus says, come and see. So his first command to these people who would eventually become his disciples and would eventually, just a few short years later, take the gospel to what is beginning to be the outer edges of the world, began with this commandment, come and see. So that's where his ministry starts to, be, to, to, to take hold. Then he has a second commandment that we talk about at the end of the book of Matthew, verse 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. And We talked about that, that passage during this series, so if it seems familiar, it's, it is. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. This is Jesus' last commandment to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So what you see throughout the collective of the Gospels is Jesus starting with this command of these, at that point, strangers saying, Come and see, and then just three years later, tells these same guys, go and make, or another way to say, go and tell. Right, And so you see a process in there, don't you? There's a, there's a process. This, this little dash here in between these two statements, come and see and go and make, is a very large process. But that, that process is what we call in the church world discipleship. The transition from telling someone, come and see what God has done, to go and make disciples yourself is the process we call discipleship. And we see this process. God in His goodness has, has recorded this process for us known as the Gospels. You see, I've, always, I've talked to you before about how when Jesus would teach in His ministry, He'd always teach kind of like, I use the example of an onion, right? On the, on the outside of the onion, there's a layer, but then you peel out that layer and there's another layer underneath and there's another layer underneath and so if you take the, the, the gospels themselves number one the first layer is that there's a God that exists that loves you deeply and passionately so much so that while you were still a sinner he sent his son to be the perfect sacrifice for your sins for your behalf and that's an amazing layer right But God doesn't want it to end there. So when you peel back the next layer, what you see is that Jesus sets the example for us and how we are to live in this world. And his his command to the disciples was the same command to you. So when he said, come and see, that's when he first started to bring you in and draw you in on your spiritual journey. Nobody ever accidentally became a follower of Jesus. Nobody accidentally ever discovered grace. Right? They had to be drawn in. And it's the Spirit of God that draws men to Himself. He chooses to use us as His people to be that instrument, that vessel that draws people in. But what you see is a process that Jesus walks his disciples through so that in, within the three years of his public ministry, he transforms them from the quote, the scum of the earth, fisherman, tax collector, lowest of the low people, he's inviting to come and see, to you guys are the guys that are going to take my message to the entire world. Now go and make disciples. And that transition is called discipleship. That's what we see in Scripture. That's what we see within that next layer of the onion in the Gospels. And so if we as the church, if the purpose of the, church, the global church is to make disciples and Jesus has given us this model of discipleship, then we should study what Jesus did and do what Jesus did, right? Right? If we are called to go and make, that's what we're called to do. So, how do you make disciples? Great question for the next 12 hours. I'm going to explain it all. From, no, I'm kidding, okay? Obviously, that'll take a lifetime to, to describe and understand. But honestly, it's, 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 I think we as the church, we as people sometimes make simple theories and and practical ideas way more complicated than they should be. So today... I want to give you what I see Jesus setting the example as of what I've co- what I've tried to call creatively the three eyes of discipleship so that you can perhaps maybe better understand and remember what it takes to help someone in their journey from come and see to go and tell or go and make okay and all these you see evidence of in Scripture. So the first I that we see, and all these are kind of a process, right? You have to walk a process of three eyes through someone in their life in order to see them transition into this follower, this disciple of Jesus who makes disciples, okay? So the first I that we are to, to follow or, in this case, start or even initiate is we initiate. The first I in discipleship is initiate. Look in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews 12, and we'll look at verses 1 and 2. How's that? Okay. Hebrews 12 is an amazing, actually, I love the book of Hebrews um, because what it does is it ties perfectly the concept. It was written to the Jews who lived in the post-resurrection era. And it was written to help bridge the gap between this is what the law and what our history says about us and God, and this is what Jesus did, and this is who we are now, right? And so you see that perfectly expressed If you in your study this week, you can look back. The, the chapter immediately before this, the author of this book starts to, rock, starts to just recite all of these heroes of the of the Hebrew faith, of the Jewish faith. He talks about how it was by faith all of these men and all these women listed believed God for who He is. Like if you just glance up before this, like if it, was, it was by faith. It was by faith. It was by faith, Moses. It was by faith, Jacob. It was by faith, Abraham. It was by faith. this, listen, listen, listen. So he lists what maybe we, in a corny way in the church world, call the hall of faith. Right? If you're an athlete, you always want to be inducted into the Hall of Fame because you're one of the greatest who ever play your sport. For us, we have the Hall of Faith, and that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is, right? So he lists all of these amazing people who we've said before were just simply everyday, ordinary people who believed that God could do what God said he could do, right? So that's where we're trying to pick up as he transitions in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. where He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Did you know God has set a race before you? God has mapped out the course of your life that will have the maximum lasting impact in this world. And that's what we call this race. So the challenge to you today starts here. Run your race. Run your race. If you don't know which way the the, the course goes, ask God for your map. A lot of times he won't tell you where the finish line is, but he'll tell you where the next turn is. Right? Run your race, folks. Run your race. How do we run our race? Verse 12, verse 2 says this. We do this. We run our race. By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion, who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame now he is seated in the place of honor beside god's throne we initiate because jesus initiated right jesus is in other in other translations it says jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith jesus was the one that initiated your Journey towards God because according to the Word of God, without Jesus, we have no chance of having a relationship with God. We've run way off course of our race. Every time we get off course, every time we take a wrong turn, that's called sin. Have you ever been so lost that Google Maps couldn't even find you? I can't. I do. Every time I go to Tong, it seems like. I just. There's Woon Tong is like the whole of Google Maps in this city. And we've been going down there a few times. And every time we, we, we drive through there, it's the most stressful, like, white knuckle, kids be quiet, your dad's trying to drive kind of moment for our family. Because you'll be going along and then all of a sudden that little pin that is the Google Maps location finder jumps over about six blocks onto a completely different highway And so you don't have any idea where you are. But anyways, when we were so lost, Jesus came and found you. He initiated your journey to being a disciple maker. Therefore, remember we're looking at His example, right? This is the layer of the onion. We're looking at His example. Therefore, he calls us to be initiators in someone's story. And I love that word. He's the, he's the one who initiates and perfects our faith. He perfects it. And we, we talk a lot of in church about faith, right? And oftentimes I think we get the idea of what faith is wrong. A lot of times we've been taught or we have believed wrongly that faith is kind of sitting back and saying, you know what? God's got this. I'm going to let God take care of it and then everything will be fine. Right? As if faith implies a passive posture. I don't. I, when I read Hebrews chapter 11, when I read scripture, I don't see faith implied as being passive. I don't see, I don't see in Genesis when God told Noah, Hey, I'm going to invent this thing called rain and it's going to rain a lot. Water's going to fall from the sky and you're going to need a boat. So I'm just going to magically poof make a boat. It says, By faith, Noah built a boat and told people, Water's going to fall from the sky. It was by faith, Abram left everything that was comfortable to him. Land, stability, direction, everything. Because God said, I want you to leave and I'll make you a father of a great nation. And if you study that, it's, it, when Abram left, everything that he had known He had no idea where God was taking him. None. God didn't tell him his finish line. He just told him the next turn. Folks, faith is not passivity. There are times, no, don't get me wrong, there are times God says, hey, you wait for me. But, so often, faith is not sitting back sipping a glass of ice lemon tea and saying, God's going to take care of this for me, and I'll just watch it unfold in front of me. No, faith is coming to the edge of the cliff and jumping, expecting God to catch you. Faith implies action, folks. It implies movement. Noah had to pick up a hammer. He had to pick up a saw and start carving away at some gopher wood. Abram had to pack up what he needed and start taking steps. So Jesus wants to perfect that active, engaging faith as you initiate someone's spiritual story. We're called to be initiators. How can you be an initiator in someone's story? Practical ways that you can be an initiator... Into someone's story, I've told you before. A guy named John Metters is the, is a huge part of the reason I'm here today because John took a chance and invited me to a youth group scavenger hunt when I was 14 years old. And it was from there I started to realize I found the first place in my life where I felt I belonged, and that was in church. And it was from there that I was in an environment where God could start to do some amazing things in me. And I met Jesus at that church because God used John Metters when I was 14 to bring me into that environment. He initiated that. God wants you to be the on-ramp in someone's spiritual journey. What are some practical ways that you can do that? It's easy. Number one, bring up spiritual things. Bring up spiritual principles. When someone tells you that... that when, when people are exposing their, their their authentic self to you, bring up these spiritual principles that God has founded your life upon. Don't be afraid to bring up spiritual things with people. Second, invite them into spiritual conversations or environments. Invite them. In- Invite them into your home for a small group Bible study. Invite them to here to our church to be a part of of what God wants them to be a part of. Right? Pray for for them. Pray for them. One of the best tips of pastoral advice someone ever gave me was never miss an opportunity to pray for someone. Never pass up an opportunity to pray for someone. And that's not just for a pastor, is it? I think that's for the believer in Christ. Pray for them. Pray over them. And I think the, the third thing is what happens when you do the first two. Let people know they matter. Let them know they matter. I'll never forget it. The last church that I was a youth pastor at uh, was a church where uh, we were in the backyard of some very large and healthy spirit. Uh, churches in our community and when i got there i realized that if we were just going to be another cookie cutter image of what a youth minister tries to make a church to to look like we wouldn't do it we wouldn't make any difference in our community so what we did is we decided we're going to be the, the youth ministry for teenagers that don't fit in at any of these other churches right and because of that we grew now, because of that, our our building smelled a little bit different at the end of every night. All youth buildings smell a little different, don't they? But we reached a a segment of our population of students who didn't feel like they fit in anywhere, right? And so we did like we we would do some uh, just different events, and and I put on a, a we did a, a a conference called Fuse Weekend one time, and we rented out. Um, we, we, God bless the college students who volunteered to help us with that. But we, uh, we hosted it in a hotel, right? And the, the kids stayed in the rooms um, with, with adult chaperones. And, and because of some of the generosity of our church and maybe some crafty budgeting on my part, we were able to, to give this 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 conference at such a reduced rate that almost all of our kids who didn't have the financial means to come could come. And the, the morning of the second day, I'm, I'm sitting at my little table and, you know, it's a hotel breakfast, at a holiday inn, which isn't really the most elaborate, amazing breakfast to begin with. But one of the kids comes up to me. I said, hey, so how's it going? And he's like, you know what? This is the nicest place I've ever been at in my entire life. Right? And I, we had scheduled all sorts of things. Like we had rented out an ice rink so the kids could, could play broom ball, which is basically hockey with tennis shoes. Right? So it's hilarious to watch teenagers who are awkward to begin with slip and fall on the ice. But we had, we had scheduled all these different amazing things. And most of these kids, the thing that made them want to come to this particular conference was because there was a glass there was a glass elevator that they could ride up and down in, and then there was a, a, a buffet breakfast in the morning in a hotel. For some of these kids, it was the first time they'd ever stayed in a hotel. And for this particular kid, Jose, he said, this is the nicest place I've ever been at in my entire life. And I say, you know what, Jose? You're worth it. And it was like for the first time in his life, Jose had heard those words. And God changed his life that weekend. God met him. and He saved him. He changed Jose's life. And it was the biggest, one of the biggest honors of my life to be able to speak that truth into his life. Because, folks, everybody who's breathing in this world matters to God. There's not one insignificant person in the eyes of the Lord. And if people don't know it, that's on us. And we live in one of the most unencouraged places in the world, don't we? That gives us such an opportunity as believers to speak light, to speak truth into people. And that's initiating their spiritual journey. So step one in that transition of, of Bringing people from come and see to go and make is come and see. Initiate someone's spiritual journey. Second eye is this, invite. We have initiate and then we have invite. And we see this expressed in Jesus when he starts to call more disciples. Matthew chapter 4 verses 18 through 22. In Matthew chapter 4. Verses 18 through 22, Jesus says this. This is a story of Jesus' disciples as He's continuing to gather these disciples. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon, who's also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Verse 19, Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me. And I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Verse 21. Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom of heaven. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. Oops, I skipped that, sorry. Um... So what what, what you see happen is that Jesus invites these men along for the ride. You see him initiating someone's spiritual journey, and then he invites them along with him. Because we are most impacted as people when we are placed within the context of relationships. Jesus didn't just try to gather a crowd and speak a good word and then leave. He invited people along with him, right? And so he invites Andrew and Peter along with him as he performs God's ministry, which is what we see in verse 23. As he traveled around through the region of Galilee, he taught in the synagogues and announced the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. So Jesus invited these men along for the the ride with him so that they could be the, the witnesses of what God could do. He calls his disciples by inviting. And God desires you to call disciples as you actively invite people along into your life as you follow Jesus. Right? Not only are we just to be initiators in someone's story, we are called to invite them and bring them alongside of us as we follow Jesus. Right? It's like what Paul says in his letter to Corinthians, where he says, you should, you should model after me as I model after Jesus. And we model best within the context of community. That's how God has wired us. So we initiate and we we invite and then the third one is this we can't get to the third one without the first two and the third one is we invest we initiate spiritual conversations with people we pray into people we pray over people we invite them along as we follow Jesus and then we invest and we see this perfectly, I think, expressed for what life is like in Hong Kong and in, in today's world in Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 32. And I think these are very these sound really great and they sound really noble, right? But until you actually realize that perhaps sometimes investing in people's lives is not the most convenient thing. It doesn't always happen when we want it to happen, right? It doesn't always, those opportunities don't always pop up when the time is right. But, for those of you who know basic investing financially, 101, the best time to invest is yesterday, right? The best time to invest and get the maximum return is now or else you're going to miss out on all the potential gains. So it's maybe not convenient for us to financially have to make some fundamental changes so that we can invest and expect a return. It's the same thing spiritually. It's not always the most convenient time for us in this stage of life or in this season of life for us to invest in people, but the return is always worth the effort. Look what happens, in, and this is the example that we see in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 32. It says as Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. As they heard that Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Verse 31, be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. But they only shouted louder. Lord, summon of David, have mercy on us. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and called. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, we want to see. Verse 34, Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes. Instantly, they could see. And then they followed him. And what I see in this... Is Jesus investing for just a moment in these men? But these moments of investment often happen not at the most convenient of times. It says the very beginning of this passage, right? Jesus was on his way. He had left Jericho. He was going to another appointment. He was going to his next meeting. He was going to his next itinerary plan, right? He had things on his to-do list he needed to check off. And along the way... These two blind men were not a part of that itinerary at first. He had other places to go, other people to see. But along the way, these two men disrupted his day. Oftentimes, investment opportunities disguise themselves as disruptions. Investment opportunities oftentimes disguise themselves as disruptions. Right? It was a couple of weeks ago. My wife and I um, were doing some b- basic. When you get old, you have to start doing these annual like medical checks and stuff, right? So we were doing a basic vision test, and so we were in Chimsat Choy, uh, going to have them look at parts of our eyes that we can't see. And and, and anyways, um, they had to dilate our pupils, and so everything around us started to get blurry, and and we had to pr- just laugh at it all. But our plan was, if we're going to have to endure like dilated pupils in the middle of the day let's reward ourselves for this agony by going to get some cheesecake factory afterwards right you know you kind of have anyways and so um we made the plan after they dropped the drops in our eyes and then let our eyes get as big as like tea saucers and um and 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 before the before the doctor called in called us in to take a look we had made these plans And so as he calls us in we're thinking, okay, it's starting to get to be the end of the day. Cheesecake Factory, the line gets super long. Let's just try to get in and out as fast as we can and beat the crowd so we don't have to wait, right? So we get in, and what does the, the Hong Kong ophthalmologist do? He starts to ask questions. And he starts to ask more questions. And he starts to ask, why are you having your eyes examined, Right? This seems very unnecessary. Do you feel like anything is wrong with you? I said, No, absolutely not. We're doing this because, finally, after a while, we're like, Okay. We're doing this because we are applying for adoption and this part of the, the medical requirements. That, that, that. He's like, Adoption? Wow, why would you want to do that? Is something wrong with you? And we're like, no, no, no. So, anyways, like, I kept trying to, what started off as just these short little, like, yes, no answers from me because I just wanted our appointment to get in and out so we could go eat our cheesecake and, like, boost our caloric intake for the day, turned into eventually a 35 minute conversation with a man where we explained why we wanted to adopt and why we believed that that was part of God's purpose for us. Because spiritually, aren't we all adopted into God's family? Isn't that the the story of the gospel is that God chose us and adopted us into his family? And so we started to tell him these things. And then I started to talk about how I was a pastor. And in what started as me just trying to get in and out to Cheesecake Factory turned into, by the time we left, this doctor said, Look, when you write a book, you've got to send me a free autographed copy, right? But it was a disruptive moment. And that's what we see in this example with Jesus, too. Investment in people often disguises itself as disruptive moments. See, our pace of life too often becomes so fast that we speed right past ministry opportunities. We speed right past the blind men who are crying out to be healed. Literally shouting, Heal us, heal us, heal us! Folks, I believe that in every single one of our lives, there are people who are blind all around you shouting out, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. But we're too often so busy and trying to pack our Google calendar full of so many events and so many appointments that we don't have the time we feel like to spend time with them when we rush right past them. But what we saw with Jesus was the antithesis of this, right? He slowed down. Sure, it was probably inconvenient for him. But he stopped. And he made time. What I also see in this, this passage is that not only should we slow down, we should see the big picture. When you invest in someone, you see the big picture. See, in order to administer effectively... You've got to embrace a servant philosophy. Let me say that again. To minister effectively, you must embrace a servant philosophy. The Bible says, consider others more important than you. The opening verse. In this text talks about how the glorious son of man is one who came to serve and not be served, right? The big picture of life is far greater than our own personal desires and dreams. So when we see the big picture of things, we start to notice that all people are important to Christ. All people matter to Christ. We've got to start to see the big picture in things, folks. And when we see the big picture in things, the disruptions start to be revealed as the opportunities. The inconveniences start to be revealed as the intentional moments that we need to spend on people. So when we invest in people, we slow down. See the big picture, and then the third one is we serve with compassion. You see, Jesus modeled this genuine service by slowing down, seeing the big picture, and then he served. Other translations say that Jesus was moved with compassion. Verse 34 our, our translation says that Jesus felt sorry for them. Other translations say that. Verse 34 says that he was moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes. See, these blind men begged for mercy. They begged for mercy. They didn't offer to pay Jesus. They just begged for his mercy. So when we invest in people... means we have to serve them with compassion and when we do this when we invest we start to see something happen right as Jesus initiated and invited his disciples and invested in his disciples he started to see transitions and changes in them didn't he the brokenness in their life started to be healed. And they started to, 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 to feel like they mattered. Because if you remember, Jesus didn't really choose the cream of the crop to, to base his ministry off of, right? Like these were not like the valedictorians, the CEOs, like the really high-level thinkers. These were blue-collar, foul-mouthed fishermen and cheating, lying tax collectors. So God did a whole lot of work in their life as they followed Jesus to eventually, they are the, what we know as the heroes of our faith, right? This guy Peter, Jesus calls him the rock that he would found his church on. He was the one of the leaders of the church that we study in Acts. But it was because Jesus initiated his spiritual journey, invited him along as he followed his, his, his God, and invested in him and spoke truth into him and called him out when he needed to be called out but held him up when he needed someone so badly in life to hold him up that, that Peter's life was changed. I mean, no one invests financially expecting a loss, right? If you do, if, if, if you want to invest your finances in a savings account with a negative APR percentage... You can invest in the Bank of Dutton today, okay? I, can, I have a perfect opportunity for you, right? Nobody invests expecting a loss. We expect a return, right? And Jesus even talks to us about that. He even talks about for us as we invest in people, as we invest in things that matter, right? He talks about it in Matthew chapter 6. And we studied this as we... Walked through what feels like seven years ago as we walked through the, the entire Beatitudes and Sermon on the Mount in our Kingdom series. But Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. And we will start at verse, let's start at 19. Okay? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, where Jesus talks about investing. Jesus says, Don't store up treasures here on earth. Where moths eat them and rust destroys them. Where thieves break in and steal. That's the negative return, isn't it? That's where you end up with less than what you put in. Verse 20, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, is a very it's always interesting to me. Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be as well. See, Jesus tells us to invest in things that produce a much better return in our life. Jesus tells us to invest in things above, not in things of this world. So if our agenda, if our plans, if our ambition is one thing, And we invest in it and the returns eventually fade away or gets rusted or moths eat it or however it is he describes, whatever else he describes it as, produce less than what we had desired. Then what if we, what if we invested in things that are eternal so that we can see a much greater return in that investment, Right? And this is a very interesting commandment because I think this is a reciprocal cycle commandment. And what I mean by that is that Jesus knows wherever our heart is, wherever, we, um, wherever our hearts are pointed towards, is going to be where we, what we pursue. Right? So if we store up treasures here on earth, Our heart is always going to pursue things on earth. But if we try to invest and store up our treasures in heaven, our heart stays focused on heaven. It's just another way of Jesus saying that that we're supposed to be focused on the big picture. In our investment. We're supposed to be focused on our eternal returns. Returns. And believe me, every time you invest in someone, any time, every single time you initiate, invite, and invest in someone, the returns are always eternal. People are always worth it, folks. People are always worth it. They're worth the risk. In every single investment opportunity, there is risk. even eternal ones. You may risk short-term losses, embarrassment, losing a relationship, whatever it is you want to call it. But the eternal, long-term benefits way outweigh the short-term potential losses, folks. So we make disciples because that's what God has purposed us as the church to do. And we do that By helping people along in their transition from come and see who God is to go and make disciples by initiating and inviting and investing. So my question for you this week, the application for you this week is this. Who in my life do I need to initiate with this week? Who in my life do I need to invite this week? And who in my life do I need to invest this week? It could be the same person for all three. It could be three different people. But whoever it is, is a person of eternal significance to God himself. That He has trusted you, has placed along your path as you walk from appointment to appointment, to show God's compassionate love and mercy to. Are we going to walk right past Him? Are we going to make the time to change their life? Let's pray. God, I pray you would convict us of the days, of the times where we just want to get from appointment to appointment. Where we just want to go to Cheesecake Factory. And we miss out on those opportunities to speak life into people. To be a part of someone's spiritual story. To play a part in people's redemption and transformation. And, uh, you know, you remind, you, you remind me just now that even after we spent the extra time with that doctor, we still got to receive our reward of, of, of a dinner together. And we didn't have to wait in line and everything we wanted we, you gave us thank you god help us to make time to slow down when these disguised investment opportunities pop up in our life help us to initiate someone's spiritual story. Let us be known as a church, a people who will walk across the room to meet people, who make the first step, who in actively engage our faith as we reach out and are your hands and feet to our friends, neighbors, colleagues, co-workers, professors, all the people that you placed in our life for a purpose. Help us to be the initiators. Help us to be the inviters as we invite them into our spiritual community, as we invite them in to experience you. And help us to invest our life in people. Help us to invest in things that truly matter. As we do that, Just like that song we sang earlier says, when the world sees that light in us, through the context of relationship, through the content of your gospel, they'll dance with joy like we can dance every single day. Thank you. God, I pray that this is a church that initiates, invites, and invests. That we are the called ones who equip, empower, and build up the people around us as we follow you. Help us to follow you today. Help us to be people with active, engaging, non-passive faith who jump expecting you to catch us. Thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it is just as true today and just as alive and active today as it was when you penned it through ordinary men and women thousands of years ago. What an amazing thing. Thank you. Thank you. Would you bless your church this week as we are sent out to initiate, invite, and invest. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Thank you all so much for coming. Praying for you this week as you initiate, invite.